0: The Podcast Platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert Today, Stories of Ruins in World War II Slovenia with Miloš Kosak Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is uh, Miloš Kosets uh, who's uh, an architect in uh, Ljubljana, where we are recording this, uh, this conversation. Uh, and he's uh, one of the co-editors of uh, um, a journal that's called The Void, uh, formerly a student journal. So, uh, h- hello, Miloš. Hello. And uh, so I guess we can we can start with that. Uh, can you tell us a bit uh, about the history of uh, of the void? Because uh, I think it's always very inspiring to hear about uh, student-founded uh, uh, publications. So
1: p- please okay. tell us a little bit about it. Uh, it started around four years ago um, with uh, some of the students of the Libriana Faculty of Architecture trying to solve the something that was perceived as a weakness of our own architecture school in um, lacking uh, lots of uh, theory from the um, architecture um, studies um, or at least uh, lots of different kinds of theories and serious discussions about it um, and we did uh, with founding uh, this uh, magazine uh, with partial support of, of the state as well um, and now it evolved into something that's uh, mainly edited by ex-students so <laughs> successfully finished the school already but it's uh, evolving and it's becoming uh, more international uh, with cooperation to um, to other countries other faculties um, other, other architects and uh, also being uh, more and more bilingual these new editions are uh, Slovene as well as english um and it, its goal is trying to to think uh and uh, about architecture in in um, in ways that uh, that aren 't the the mainstream ones uh, so um just basically think about space and uh politics and philosophy in connection to to the architecture exploring what's happening and exploring what's not talked about and just exploring everything that we still find interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so as, as you mentioned yourself, you were a former student at the Faculty of Architecture of Ljubljana and um, today we will speak about uh, the topic of runes, I mean, uh, specifically uh, in, a spe- I mean, in a situation... Uh, in uh, Slovenia in, during uh, the Second World War, uh, but before we really um, jump in the heart of the topic, uh, uh, this um, this uh, research was uh, part of your uh, thesis that you further expanded. I think uh, after after finishing school and publishing it, uh, and uh, so m- maybe before we we are we become too specifics about. Uh, uh, Slovenia, which is uh, what i'd like to do uh, as part of this uh, series in the balkans to try to to speak about the place where from where we are talking uh but before we do that then uh could could you maybe introduce us a little bit to the to the questions that you were uh, studying at, in this research and uh in a in a more g- general terms
1: yeah certainly it uh, all started uh, with my own uh personal fascination with ruins, uh, with um, already as a child being um, always excited at visiting like ruined uh, castles or something like that. And when I started to, to think of about what should I do for the thesis, um, it seemed to me productive to think about one's own fascination um, in terms of one's um, study. So how how does this in essence, um, architectural uh, phenomena of ruins is thought of by the architectural theory and by by more general publics. Um, and it seemed to me interesting that the ruin itself is not really much talked about by the mainstream architectural theory, while, on the other hand, it's very much present in um, popular, popular culture. Um, it has... Uh, it has this um, appearance of uh, you know of a popular architecture in a way it's um, it's a good scene for a horror story it's uh, um, it's full of uh, the internet is full of uh, different blogs and uh, photo um, sessions on decay on um, on ruins on um, destruction so what's um, why is this clash at all there? I mean, why why the architecture um, proper is not dealing with ruins as a phenomena? And why, on the other hand, is it so um, very much um, popular? Well, um, the core of the core of the quest was obviously first looking when did the ruins become fascinating, which is completely a historical point. Um, it's with the emergence of modernity in the 17th and 18th century. Um, together with you know, fascination with wild nature, untamed nature, everything that comes into um, into light when um, the human world is becoming industrialized, when it's becoming um, politicized in a modern sense, when the state's are centralizing and so on. So when all the modern processes start to develop, um, there is fascination with wild and with um, uncanny also starts, so the ruin is the part of the same process, and then I, then I explored the implications of, in particular, the twentieth century of um, um, aesthetics of the ruin, of the politics of the ruin through art, through architecture proper, um, and through, through some philosophy, and um, obviously the main reference points being the conflicts in the twentieth century, which, um, which have. Um, Influence this ruin discourse uh, um, in this rather eurocentric um, work i have to say it's uh, it's from the it's written completely from the western perspective so um, i dealt mainly with this um, western view on the ruins and the role of the conflict and what in the end what does the ruin tells us what does what the architecture doesn't tell us about the ruin so what did the the um, the lack of talking about ruin is also very evocative for architecture and what what can we learn about architecture through through studying this popular subject of the ruin and decay
0: mm-hmm. um, well I think it's very interesting to have this conversation because uh, I can think of at least three previous conversation for uh, this program Archipelago um, uh, that that somehow uh, talked about specific geographical and historical situation uh, about the rune. I mean, one was with uh, Nick Keverly in Detroit, and and talking specifically about uh, what you just mentioned—the sort of uh, uh, rather odd uh, fascination that uh, uh, people might have for the rune, in particular in Detroit, how it hides, how how it creates uh, an imaginary. Of of a city that's been emptied from its inhabitants, forgetting that uh, the the poorest uh, people of Detroit never moved out of the city. So somehow, or in a sudden, it becomes this sort of paradise uh, for uh, a sort of uh, creative middle class uh, that think of the through this imagery, think of the city as their own as as their own tabula rasa. more recently, we talked with uh, Salma Perovic uh, uh, about uh, the runes in uh, in Bosnia. That was, uh, uh, a few, uh, I mean, that was last week, but a few weeks ago, uh, uh, in terms of publication of those conversations, uh, and um, and also with uh, Gaston Guardio. Uh, in that case, uh, about. Uh, Quite a few examples uh, quite a few examples uh, uh, during in uh, whether in Palestine in Argentina in um, during the Paris commune but uh, how how to think of runes in a sort of uh, constructivist way in, in something that might seem oxymoronic to think of constructivist runes, but actually uh, it makes sense so I guess I, I relate to those conversations uh as a sort of genealogy uh, uh a contextual genealogy of this conversation so i think this is great uh but so going to the specificity of uh, the geographical and historical context you've been studying um can you tell us about uh those two um examples that you've been studying during the second world war in slovenia and maybe before doing so uh maybe reintroducing the historical context of slovenia during the second world war and i mean of yugoslavia in general
1: Mm -hmm. gladly Um, well the situation during the second world war um, in uh, this area of uh, former yugoslavia was rather complex Um, it all started with um, Germany and its allies attacking the Kingdom of Yugoslavia on um, April 1941, so when most of, the, most of Europe was already under occupation, just before Germany attacked the Soviet Union. Um, and the result of this um, attack was the division of the Slovene part of Yugoslavia into three zones, so one very small one was occupied by Hungary. Um, the majority of the um, the majority of Slovenia was occupied by German forces and the western part of Slovenia, together with the main city of Ljubljana, um, was occupied by the Italian forces. And so this division lasted until um, forty-three when Italy um, surrendered and the Germans um, occupied the rest of the former Italian territory. Um, the The whole situation was was very dynamic throughout the war because... Um, not only did occupation um, dissect the previously um, homogeneous um, homogeneous country uh, but also um, within it the resistance movement started in 41 and uh, at, from at least 42 on there was also a civil war uh, waging at the same time as um, as the, the liberation struggle and the occupation has been going on so it was a rather um, like multi-layered, um, multi-layered um, war, um, and the interesting things happened obviously where these these forces that is, uh, like um, merged. So where where these layers were the thickest ones. Um, one of these very um, interesting areas is in the south of Slovenia, um, which has been um, had been. Um, Occupied by Italy um, at the start of the war and but it contained um, an isolated island of uh, indigenous um, German people, um, about ten thousand of them and um, the german um, the German um, army and the German state decided to uproot these people and convince them to um, to change their um, to change their homesteads and so on to a nearby location under the German occupation so to be some kind of a border guard there for the German for the you know next uh, German Reich um, and they did that they settled them on the area where Slovene people were um, evicted and sent to Germany so you have lots of this um, shifting of populations right at the start of the war that was the winter of 41 42 um, and this emptied land, uh, landscape, that where previously the Germans lived, uh, obviously became a very proper ground for resistance uh, fighters, uh, because it had uh, it had like, hundreds of empty villages and uh, empty structures, and it was surrounded by very thick forests. Um, so um, this uh, landscape with up until then intact buildings um, became fighting ground in between the liberation uh, front in between the collaborationist and liberation fighters, and in between particular Italian army and uh, partisans.
0: Uh, So this was... The partisans being the... the
1: liberation front.
0: uh, Yeah, led by by Tito and... uh, Yeah,
1: led by the Slavic communists, which were under the Tito... um, Global Yugoslavian front. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's rather complicated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
0: why I, I I feel every now and then we should maybe uh, go back to uh, to our own uh, uh, understanding of our non-understanding, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
1: true. I mean, most people in Slovenia are still coming to terms with this <laughs> for a few years, so it's not very strange <laughs> to, not to not to uh, understand it properly. Um, and this depopulating um, very much affected this landscape since the Germans after the war never returned, they either escaped or were, were evicted from Yugoslavia, from their new homesteads. You mean the the, Ger- the
0: German uh, uh, po- look, populations that were uh, displaced, right? That were displaced yeah. by
1: the Germans, mm-hmm. yeah, themselves and then they were um, evicted from their new places uh, by the Yugoslavs or Um, or they escaped themselves, yeah. Um, So what to do with this uh, this landscape that's still completely empty and by now, because of all of the conflicts ruined mostly, burned down by the Italian army, um, a few things happened. Some areas were completely closed off um, with military and with police uh, and were guarded as a... um, as a kind of a protected landscape for party leadership, in in the event of the uh, nuclear attack or in the event of the attack by the Soviet Union, so they could hide there. Um, and that area was completely raised to the ground. So every single chapel and church, especially, um, were were raised to the ground, so as to be also ideologically um, more appropriate for the party leadership. Most of the other um, parts of this land, which is called Kuchewia, which I should have told maybe before now um, is or in German um, would be um, would be either repopulated with Slovene population who, which lost uh, its homes during the war and there uh, interesting um, interesting events would happen in the first few years with um, you know some local churches would be burnt without any apparent reason during the night or something like that it, it seemed or at least I think it's possible to think about it as a kind of a reappropriation of the of the landscape, reappropriation of um, of the land maybe because you would have the churches and the um the graveyards with the german names and so on so it needed to be somehow reappropriated lots of churches uh, disappeared in that way or became ruins and the most interesting aspect perhaps is that there are some ruins which seem to be partly distracted from the more um, central organized first um, force from local government or something like that, which it's hard to say exactly. But um, they have been dynamited, for instance, but only parts of them. So um, you, you'd have a very quite grand uh, baroque church with two towers in a part of this land um, that stood by a small village and... Um, a few years after the war it was um, dynamited uh, but just uh, one corner and one tower of it so um, it seemed that the destruction was um, quite carefully planned in a way not to to, to, uh, destroy part of the church so not being able to rebuild it while at the same time never erasing it from uh, from public um, from public view indeed actually from a preserved church to convert it into a proper ruin so um it seems there there was at least partly a tendency of creating a ruin after long after the war mm. um and you know creating a, some kind of a permanent conflict in space
0: mm-hmm.
1: but that, that's
0: that's uh that's also what relates to the a conversation we've been having which is uh which is great which which is the, the the tackles the ability of a rune to tell a story somehow through through it being a rune not only talk about uh, the building it used to be the sort of the sort of uh, con- uh, historical context it involved in the building it used to be but also uh, in being a rune the the way it's been destroyed itself and uh, and we were talking about that before uh before we had this conversation but mm. it's very much the opposite in that case of what happened in palestine with uh all the palestinian building um uh all the palestinian villages uh, uh on that are that were after 1948 on uh, on what was considered as israeli territory uh, destroyed, not not only dynamited, uh, evicted and dynamited as as uh, in similar fashions that you were describing, but then having the runes themselves being er- eradicated as well and uh, growing forest over them and uh, erased, so that the narrative of the rune itself would not be able to exist. So somehow it's interesting to see that in in your particular example, uh, the opposite was uh, uh, mm-hmm. sicked. Mm-hmm. right?
1: It, it's um... We talked as well uh, of the um, German um, or Speer's preoccupation with mm-hmm. um, um, Albert uh, Speer, the the the, the the the
0: let's say Hitler's architect. Yeah, yeah, architect. yeah,
1: um Which uh, of the, his strategy of win and theory so the ruins, the um, the meaning of ruins theory, um, which which gave uh, a huge um, importance to how the building will look like or be perceived after it is destructed. so uh, with reasoning saying that um, when the building uh, will be in its ruins it it will have the ability to um, you know to inspire people to great achievements um, like the ruins of ancient rome um, does um, but I don't. It, that, that's what I. What that's what in particular fascinated with me with these little local examples. It's a similar line of reasoning, I think, in a, a very, very small, much smaller scale. Um, because it it doesn't just tries to erase the memory. It it tries something different. It tries it tries to use the um, ability of the building to speak. Uh, in it, it tries to um, manipulate it in a way to its own message. Which is a tricky business, because the ruin, even more than a like normal piece of architecture, is, uh, is literally open to interpretation. I mean, this is an open structure by definition. It slowly crumbles, it's slowly opening, but uh, it, its meaning is similarly um, open, and it's getting more and more open. So every kind of this ideological use of the ruin is uh, bound to backfire. Um, in time and I mean obviously it has in Slovenia, in Germany (laughs) I think uh, the ruins are telling something different uh, to the victory of one nation over the other than maybe did in the 40s So that was the first
0: examples you've been studying uh, specifically in in Slovenia, but mm-hmm. there was a second one that involved uh, uh, the form, uh, the medieval castles in various cities by uh, and in relationship to the the, the parties, the communist partisans, right? So mm-hmm. Do
1: you want to tell us about it? Yeah, it's, it's partly it's uh, similar to that, uh, but well, it's interesting because it's not geographically like so um, geographically defined as perhaps this i thing. Um, because it 's uh, spread over a larger territory and it it somehow affects only a specific form of buildings, so not every building in a in a, in a small territory but um, every almost every um, example of a type of a building on a larger territory um, and this territory where the castles were burned from forty two to all of the way to forty five um, covers approximately the area where the um, partisan uh, movement has been strong, which is completely normal. I mean, in the, the areas where German military was particularly strong or guarded the communications very well, it was a lot harder for the movement to, to have an effect. While in the southern part, which very near this Kochewe landscape, um former italian occupation zone this um this um, um, control was never complete so you'd have uh, you'd have liberated zones you would have the fighting zones you would have the army zones so on um and two things were were interesting first is that i think that how things evolved during the war and how things evolved after the war during the war it was very I think it's interesting to notice that the destruction of um, these potent uh, power structures that castles by definition are, um, or were from the um, medieval times onwards, was uh, a potent um, propaganda act. Um, because you, you can, when you don't have much uh, men or um, uh, you, you don't have a lot of arms, you don't have a lot of resources, um, but you have these types of buildings that symbolically um, that symbolically guard the landscape, um, that symbolically control it, and they are, that are really not that hard to destroy, um, not with a uh, few guns, because they weren't... Um, uh, at the start of the war, um, no one expected they would be attacked. Um, they weren't guarded, obviously. They were mostly in private ownership. Um, and they weren't um, military... Um, military... Uh, things in themselves at all anymore but uh, they were quite easy easy to overcome and they were mostly burnt in that part of Slovenia during the war and uh, so the, the whole southern part of Slovenia changed into a, you know some kind of a um, landscape of ruined castles which gave you if you were traveling through or being there quite a clear idea that this um, part of the land is not pacified it, that the, the army the occupation army doesn't have a clear control over it um i'd say that that was the most um, strong strategic reason for burning castles not so much the fighting uh, the fighting because very few fights and only local ones actually um happened within or near the medieval fortresses um after the war things become more interesting and um maybe more in line with the church example I was telling uh, about Cuchilla. Um So you'd have these burned down castles um, which the the, um, the monument service wanted to preserve, um, which wasn't very difficult after the war. I mean, you just uh, put a roof on it, mostly they were still intact, um, um, without, except of the roof that burned and the, the flooring and so on. Um, but in most cases, uh, these things were stopped sometimes even from, from Ljubljana, from the um, from the capital, um, and um, said that they shouldn't be renovated. And some were indeed uh, torn down completely. But the most interesting uh, example is again the ones that uh, have been um, partly dynamited. And these um, destructions, destructions with dynamite... Happened even in the early sixties, still, so almost twenty years after the end of the war. While at the same time, the um, the monuments, uh, the monuments um, service wanted to uh, rebuild them. So you'd have a very, very strange. Um, sometimes both things would happen at the same time on the same castle. So uh, someone would dynam- dynamite a part of it, and the, the this. Um, Monument. Um, people would would cover another part of these ruins with a roof, so it was it was kind of a strange uh, happening. Um, the result being that many of the most um, many of the most um, um, powerful or well known um, or most cynically positioned castles were um, in a way hindered by these um, destructions, while keeping the most symbolically recognizable features like towers or just one wall so you could see the sky through it um, very much um, opened and even protected sometimes it's as if you would want to freeze a moment of conflict into the landscape Um, it seems quite um, quite certainly that um the, that was the wished outcome because so many of the lesser known castles were completely razed down um and um this had to be um partly uh, controlled move so in line maybe with um, socialist dialectics i mean um freezing the the another one historical epoch and showing it, it's there, but it's it, we have evolved into another historical epoch. epoch. Yeah. Um, also, I've been speculating a little bit on the how how do you fight um, how do you fight something that's capitalistic? It's very hard because it's by its definition uh, um, evasive and always evolving form. But you can always fight um, this traditional. Uh, forms of power, the church and the feudalism things, which tried to control the landscape very literally, very statically. And as uh, communism was perceiving itself as a last, and by definition, static epoch that we were in um, position of getting at, uh, this had completely different meaning 50 years ago than it has now. Then we are in uh, capitalism again. And this... uh, um, ruins uh, have become different symbols of um, dynamics and uh, um, of, uh, you know, thinking how to rebuild them and so on. Well, uh,
0: so that that was the two examples you studied, but actually earlier today you um, gave me a third example that I, I, c- I cannot resist to add to it, which which is from the same... Uh, the the era, even though it might be more about an imprint than a, than a ruin pr- uh, proper but you were telling me about this ring around the city of Ljubljana uh, that was uh designed by the designed by the Italians uh, the Italian army and uh, you'll tell us more about that but uh it uh, I, I find it uh, a particularly probant uh uh Concluding examples because it it it, it involves very much uh, the act of walking on the line as mm. phenomenalist. So uh, this sounds a little bit mysterious like that. But if you if you explain that, I'm sure we'll we'll get there.
1: <laughs> okay, it's uh, the Italian army after the resistance started to become particularly strong in the city of Ljubljana decided um, quite unparalleled to. to um, to um, encircle the whole of the city with a system of bunkers and barbed wire to form um, an impregnable fence uh, that could only be um, passed through with an official license. So the city was completely uh, enclosed with this 30 and something kilometer long fence um, and uh, supposedly you couldn't go on one or the other side, without the Italian army knowing it, and indeed, this fence uh, remained around the city even after the Italian surrender '43, uh, um, because the Germans saw the potential of it and started to man it um, when they uh, when they arrived to Ljubljana, um, and only after the liberation day it was uh, destroyed. But in the in the fifties, late fifties or early sixties. Um, a project was made of transforming the formal line of this fence into a into a path, a wide path with uh, lined with trees all around the city. So and it was realized up until the 80s. So now you would have a 30 plus kilometer ring around Ljubljana consisting of this pedestrian-only um, tree-lined avenue that connects um, most of the green areas and is um, built on precisely the same line as the fence so it you know it goes into the some of the parts of the city then it goes to some hills so that's the full circle and um, so it has been transformed from some kind of architecture of oppression into a very much um, monument but also into a recreational zone it, it functions as a, as the longest city park actually um the most symbolic the the value of this um line is uh, gets to is on the 8th of um, may when the majority of people go there and it's like tens of thousands of people to encircle or just partly encircle the ring around uh, around Ljubljana. so they would be walking along this path and uh, in this way remember remember the encirclement of the city but until I mean by now it had evolved into this um, completely autonomous tradition with um, symbolism being partly there but not being the essential thing Um, and we talked about how the um, how this walking not by or not um, across the fence but on it, it like, is perhaps the uh, rather interesting way of um, of liberating the oppressionist, um, oppressionist architecture i mean
0: well i 'm not sure about liberating but at least subverting its effect in the, in these lines that forced bodies to be on one side or the other uh, when it was built, and somehow to to have uh, people walking on the line like a phambulist, a little bit like the, the east and west uh, Berliners uh, did in november 9th uh, 1989 mm. uh rather than crossing the wall they were on on the wall on the on the edge of the wall it's it's uh it's 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 very i, I don't think it is a liberating uh symbol but it is very much a subversion of mm. of, of this line and uh, i thought i thought the examples was <laughs> was particularly good to to uh to, uh, join our, our two works together <laughs> through this example. Uh, okay. uh well, Miloš, thank you so much, uh, to talk to me today, uh, thank on, you. on, uh, on a busy schedule. <laughs> I, I know. Uh, and, uh, I'm glad that we got both, um, a conversation, uh, specific to Slovenia and also, uh, another era of, uh, of Yugoslavia, uh, because, um, so far, it's been mostly from the 1980s uh, upwards. So now we we have a an additional layer of time uh, uh, included in the series. So thank you very much. Thank you.